Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. This episode, we're joined by Naraj Ray of Cultivate the City in Washington, D.C. Hello, Naraj. Hello. How are you doing? Good. So we're in a little bit of a heat wave now in the city. Um, I'm hoping you're staying cool. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I have a beverage in hand. Yay. So... um, Many people who are Washington Gardener Magazine followers will be familiar with Naraj because we profiled him in a past issue, but also he has been a featured speaker at our annual seed exchanges, um, I think at least three times, correct, Naraj? Yep, yep, that's about right. Mm-hmm. So usually we have him talking about seed saving and his specialty vertical farming and i want to ask you about both of those topics today but then also about some unusual edibles that you have um at cultivate the city we have a lot more than usual this year (laughs) yay so speaking of this year and the year of covid and oddness and stress have you found that you're getting a much higher demand um from local people who are interested in learning about gardening Without a doubt. I think there's everyone's at home. Um, gardening is a great thing to do alone with your family. Um, great way to not only spend your time, but also help put food on the table and it reduces your reliance on the grocery store, supply chain, things like that. So mm-hmm. I have definitely seen a very big uptick in people who are interested in gardening and farming their own food. And are most of these first timers like total beginners or is it people who <laughs> dabbled in the past, but they're like, oh, this looks interesting. We, we get the whole gamut. There have been, a lo- I would say this has been the year of novices. There have mm-hmm. been a lot more people that have never gardened before. I had people coming to me in the second week of March asking for okra and watermelon seedlings. And mm-hmm. I told them, slow your horses on that. We need at least two more months before you can get those out. <laughs> Yeah, so there is a bit of a learning curve, um, but uh, there is a huge enthusiasm that, you know, that we want to take advantage of right now and say, you know, you can't grow that this second, <laughs> but but here's what you can grow. So, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the great things about our annual seed exchanges is that we obviously, as the name implies, exchange seeds. So a lot of things can be started from seed versus purchasing um, started seedlings. So what are your favorite plants for starting from seed? This time of the year, it would be squashes, cucumbers, and my personal favorite is Malabar spinach. Mm -hmm. Uh, Malabar spinach, it has a really big dark seed and it germinates very easily. Um, It is a climbing plant. It's not a true spinach, but it tastes just like spinach. It's native to India, um, hence the name Malabar. Um, And it is traditionally used in sag paneer, which is a traditional Indian dish with spinach and cheese. And 
Oh, that's why the spinach leaves are so big in sog paneer. Because <laughs> I was like, this is a very large variety of, of spinach they're using at, at Indian restaurants. So what they're calling spinach is actually the Malabar spinach. So that's great to know. And do you have any tricks? Do you just direct sow the Malabar spinach in the in the soil once it's warm enough? Um, we do so. Our, well, we start a lot of them in seed trays because we also distribute them to our other gardens and to other people who want to grow them. Um, but I find it is a very, very robust volunteer in the garden. Hmm. I just kind of let the seeds fall where they may in the fall. And then we will just kind of this time of the year. Um, there's a bunch of volunteers in the garden. It's just a matter of being vigilant to see what's coming up in the garden. Mm-hmm. Um, but ground cherries, different basils, holy basil in particular, pretty much just rises from <laughs> all yes. of our gardens this time <laughs> of the year. Um, so things like that, where if you're vigilant, you know what to look for, when to look for it, you'll find gold already growing in your garden. And that's a, a great lesson for a lot of beginning gardeners, not to be super neat um, in your weeding. Mm-hmm. And you'll start to recognize some of those self-seeders coming back year after year. And you'll start to know which ones to weed out and which ones not to. And I always say the lazy gardener, the procrastinator sometimes benefits <laughs> by those reseeders by not being so neat in the garden. Um, mm-hmm. I did, I did want to ask you on the Malabar. So you did say it was a climbing variety. So it kind of has a vining mm-hmm. habit um, and it's a self viner. You don't really need to train it on a trellis, but it's good to have some type of support um, placed out there. I've seen people use yeah, you... old wooden ladders. What do, what do you use? Um, just about anything for it to climb. I love chain link fences in general. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot of our gardens tend to just have a chain link fence surrounding it. Mm-hmm. And between that, bitter melon, passion fruit, a lot of our climbers, I don't even see that fence anymore. That's a great tip. If you can borrow that fence um, between you and a neighbor or maybe even get mm-hmm. an old piece of fence to, to install just for climbers. Mm-hmm. So um, you had mentioned um, other self-sowers, um, holy <laughs> basil, which is not the same as the Genovese basil. Um, not at all not at all and if you rub the leaves it kind of has more of a like a spicy scent um than that uh pesto scent that you know or pizza as little kids would say so um Mm -hmm. so holy basil you're normally using in a tea correct that is correct it's also used a lot in different asian dishes particularly uh southeast asian dishes Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's used typically as a medicinal tea. Mm-hmm. And it's not the easiest um, to source as far as seeds or seedlings. So if you do have it self-sowing, um, that's a great boon to, to be able to maybe dig a few and share with another mm-hmm. gardener. Most definitely. Yeah, they grow like weeds once you have them. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the other one you mentioned, which is which are yep. native to our area. Um, and a lot of people would maybe look at them and think that they were a a small tomatilla or might recognize that they're in that tomato nightshade family, but then not know what to do with them at that point. Yeah, they are delicious. They're definitely one of my favorite ones to grow. Um, For one, the squirrels and birds don't mess with them because it has a papery husk on the outside. 
Um, mm-hmm. They fall to the ground when they're ready, which is why they reseed. It's pretty much impossible to pick up each and every ground cherry. Um, and they taste like a tomato injected with pineapple juice, in my opinion. Yeah, they're like a super, super sweet sun gold, mm-hmm. like, like cherry tomato, but with that little, yeah, pineapple or citrusy kick to it. Um, I noticed lately that they've been marketing ground cherries under, you know, clever names, so, <laughs> which are, is, is not helping the market, I don't think. When you find them in a supermarket, you might not see it as a ground cherry. Yeah, I think the only name that I've actually seen it under in grocery stores here is um, Cape Town Gooseberry, which mm-hmm. is a little bit I've different also... too, but it's yeah. about as similar as you're going to find in the grocery store. Yeah, I'll hear colloquially Cape Gooseberry, which you know might be more mm-hmm. a northern common name for it. But I've also seen it um, marketed at Whole Foods as a golden berry, um, gotcha. and it's not it's not a berry (laughs) so it's not a cherry either but yeah it's not nor is it a gooseberry so all the names are kind of misleading in that way but if you do happen to come across it at a farmer's market or at whole foods or a local grocery store i would grab it and then save you know save a couple smash up smash them up and ferment them a little bit and then put them in the soil and you probably have ground cherries next year Mm -hmm. So let's, um, what other unusual edibles are you growing right now? Um, so we have hibiscus this year, um, the mm-hmm. sorrel. So you save the mm-hmm. pods from that to make a tea, a very beautiful, large, tall flower. Um, the other one is papalo. We grow that instead of cilantro. Uh, cilantro I find to be very difficult. It goes to seed in the first week of May usually. Uh, oh, yeah. And so then you're just playing a game of sowing seeds all season long to make sure you actually have a harvest. Uh, with papala, it's a traditional Mexican cooking herb, and it tastes like a cross between cilantro, bell peppers, and celery. Um, it grows nice. Could you, could you, could I spell it? If you could, if you could spell it for our listeners. Yep. It's P A P A L O. Apollo. Um, but yeah, it's an amazing herb. It grows much easier than cilantro. Um, it gets nice and tall. And as an added benefit, on the bottom of the leaves, you'll see these little dots. And that's where all the essential oils of the plant get concentrated. It's very heavy in essential oils. And insects and bugs hate it. So I planted around my tomatoes, peppers as a companion plant. And it keeps a lot of the other critters away. That's a that's a great tip. Even if you're not a big fan of that cilantro flavor, which mm-hmm. I am, by the way, <laughs> and I love it. But even if you're not a big fan of that flavor, to add this herb to your garden as a companion plant and something to protect the others around it. And so it's something that's heat loving versus cilantro, which kind of melt melts in our high heat and humidity. Yeah, it loves the heat and the humidity. And so you mentioned also earlier bitter melon. So that's that's one of the the fruits that have been described as ugly. Yep. <laughs> Looks kind of like Godzilla turned into a vegetable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's spiky and green. Um, and that's when you want to harvest it. If you leave it on the vine too long, 
Um, it turns orange and then the tips open up. The seeds inside are bright co coated in a bright red um, jelly and it definitely looks like a dragon's mouth opening. That's when it looks the coolest though. Yep. <laughs> but by <laughs> but then it, it's way too bitter to eat. Uh, uh, so I know that's a favorite in um, Chinese cuisines, like mm -hmm. in soups and things. So it's definitely an acquired taste. Yep. It's another great medicinal plant as well. It's a major staple in homeopathic medicine. Um, they actually make tablets out of the leaves. The um, active ingredient in it is prescribed to diabetics and it helps control your blood sugar levels. And that's why my mom made me eat it when I was a kid, I guess. And so that's from the foliage, not from the fruit itself. Both. Both. It's in, Both. they make the tablets out of the leaves because that's typically what's left to make the tablets out of. Um, and it has a lower con concentration, so they purify the extract out of it. Um, but the same active ingredients are in the fruit as well, but typically that makes it to market straight away. Interesting. So, and you mentioned the hibiscus and sorrel, which reminds me of that hibiscus relative okra. That's, mm -hmm. a, that's I think, a favorite of yours. Um, I like growing okra sometimes. It depends on mm -hmm. how much space I have. Um, mm -hmm. Okra definitely requires at least a full row of it. Um, it's not really worthwhile to grow one or two okra plants because you can only harvest one or two at a time then. Um, yeah. And you really have to stay on top of harvesting it. Um, you have to harvest them when they're young and tender. Otherwise, they get very thick very quickly. Um, so I just make sure that when I do plant it, I'm planting enough of them and they're at a location where I will be going every other day at the least. Yeah, it's one of those plants that if you go on vacation for, say, late July into August, all is lost. Mm -hmm. so, or you have to have a plant sitter take come in um, harvesting daily from them. Yep. Is that the same case with the hibiscus, the sorrel plants? Um, no. You have to continually harvest? No, with the sorrel, you, they just kind of form a calyx on there after the flower kind of dies off. Um, mm -hmm. And they'll just keep doing that all up the length of the plant. And you can harvest whenever. I do try and harvest in waves instead of just waiting for the end of the season because it does promote more growth the more you pick. And that's pretty much a rule of thumb with most plants. Great. So let's go back to kind of the beginning and let's talk about little Naraj. And so you mentioned your mom um, feeding you bitter melon uh, because it was healthy. Were you a big fan of vegetables and gardening and growing as a child or did it come later in life for you? Um, gardening definitely came to me later in life in terms of eating vegetables. I grew up vegetarian and mm -hmm. we've always kind of highlighted vegetables in the meal as that's the staple. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, gardening definitely came to me later in life when I went to grad school in Florida and it actually had to do with food because I missed having Indian food and some of the other ethnic cuisines that I was used to, which weren't available to me uh, where I was in Florida. And so I started gardening. My dad gave me a shoebox full of seeds from my grandmother. And I just started discovering all these new plants and things to do with my time. Great. So there were gardeners in your family that you could reach out to and get some of their wisdom. Uh, yes, it would be mainly, mainly my aunts, uncles, my dad, 
Uh, my dad grew up on a farm when he was younger. Um, my parents have always had plants in the house, but mainly indoor plants and holy basil. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that they have always grown. We've lived in New York City in an apartment um, ever since they moved here. So they haven't really had the opportunity to have a garden space. Great. So then you were gardening for basically your table mm-hmm. um, as a grad student. And then what brought you into horticulture from there? Um, well, I I was going to grad school for environmental science and I got a job in DC with the EPA. Um, and in order to move here, it was the very first season that I actually grew, I think it was 300 strawberries and they were just starting to flower and fruit when I was getting ready to move here. Um, I didn't want to throw them out. So I decided to have a garage sale and I pretty much sold all my plants. And from that, I made $3,000 and that paid for all of my moving expenses and my stay in DC. It was for the summer. And I think that just kind of planted the seed in my head that I should always grow plants. Um, Even when I'm not eating them myself, they Mm -hmm. still help pay the bills. Um, And then when I moved here to DC, when I was working with the EPA, I came back for a longer term position after that. Um, I started working with more school gardens in the area, and that's kind of where things ballooned from. Nice. And can you talk about some of those school garden experiences? Were they with um, younger kids or older? Um, I initially started working with younger kids. I uh, I got involved at J.O. Wilson Elementary School, um, and I helped build a garden there. The kids would get involved with planting the garden, harvesting from it. Um, I helped put together a curriculum that some of the younger grades would participate in. Um, Over time, as we grew as an organization, we also started working with the middle school, um, and then Gallaudet University in the high school. And over time, we've realized that our focus is really more on the higher ed or higher learning side of things. Um, we do a lot of vertical and hydroponic techniques, and we really want to show people the future of farming and how anyone and everyone can grow a large amount of produce. Um, and there's a lot of next generation science standards that can be integrated into the programming that we're doing. And that's really what we've taken and run with over the past couple of years. Cool. So um, with the vertical gardening, you have a location on H Street, which is your Mm -hmm. headquarters, and it's your retail location, correct? That is correct. We're on the rooftop of a hardware store. Um, And yeah, that's where we showcase all of our different gardening systems. It's where we retail sell of our plants. We retail all of our plants. It's our pickup location for our CSA, and um, it's also where we hold most of our classes. And so during this time of COVID, are you doing any virtual or online classes? Um, I did a couple of virtual classes, but I think now we're gearing up to start doing small batch classes again, probably five people or less. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we did a foraging class online, and we also did... Um, just a general uh, kitchen, um, gardening from kitchen scraps class with Smithsonian a couple weeks ago. Hmm. So with that gardening with kitchen scraps, so that's like starting um, greens from a, a leftover celery or that sort of thing. Yeah. 
yeah like that mm-hmm. using like walking onion bulbs or just about a, a lot of different things potatoes sweet potatoes things like that that you can start out of just things that you might have mm-hmm. in your kitchen yeah and i love the topic of foraging because i'm i'm always looking out for <laughs> every location of service berries which i <laughs> we just put up a service yep. berry video on our youtube channel and so I've got an eagle eye out for service berries, um, among other things. What's your favorite thing to forage? Well, right now it's definitely service berries. Mm-hmm. They're far and beyond the number one winners. Um, yeah, right now they're abound just about everywhere. If you know where to look, they're fully ripe. Um, they're Whenever I do my foraging class, that's the one that people normally spot right in front of their house when they start looking. Mm-hmm. Um that one and mulberries are the two that would be just about ubiquitous right now. Um, but my favorite to forage would probably be pawpaws and that's oh, in the yeah. fall. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of little pocket locations for pawpaws and a lot of mm-hmm. the great thing is um, most of the wildlife pays no attention to pawpaw, which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy to me that deer don't eat them, but they don't. So, well, they do eat them once they're on the ground. Yes. Yeah, but they're not like picking them off the tree or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> going for exactly. or squirrels like how they would strip your persimmons or anything mm-hmm. like that. So that's fun. Yep. Um, so and you can grow your own uh, service barrier pawpaw tree, obviously, if you have the room mm-hmm. for that at your location. So um, you're on the roof, as you said, of a hardware store and you're not mm-hmm. too far from the National Arboretum um, yep. in Northeast D.C., so um, you get some, I believe, of the traffic of people going back and forth between D.C. and Maryland looking to home grow some of the things that they might see at, say, the Washington Youth Garden. Um, mm-hmm. What are people asking you about right now? What are the top things? Uh, tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> tomatoes are the number one thing to get in the ground right now. And it's the thing that I have 10,000 plus of. There are just a lot of t- different tomatoes. Everyone has their favorite tomato. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's been the main thing I would say for the past week or so. Um, pretty soon, pep- peppers are always big too. Mm-hmm. Um, besides that, a lot of people come for our really unique, like we definitely grow very unique plants that you're not going to find at Home Depot and Lowe's or other garden centers. Um, like we grow moringa and passion fruit, mm-hmm. and those have definitely been two of the big ones that I think now people know that we grow them. So they specifically come here looking for those two plants, and they leave with a lot of other things. And with the CSAs that you have, are you including, say, that passion fruit in that CSA share? Not yet. Oh. <laughs> that, yeah. that would be that is definitely part of my goal. Um, with the passion fruit, this is probably right now we already have a bunch of fruit that's ripening, which is really surprising. Um, in the past, we've only had fruit coming in the fall. Mm. Um, but right now we're getting in the spring as well. And I think it's just because our plants are big enough and mature now. I've had them for five or six years. Um, and the interesting thing is even the clones and cuttings that I'm taking off of it, they're also flowering immediately. Mm-hmm. So that's been very exciting. I really hope we can include it. We've definitely included Moringa in the past um, because that year harvesting more of the leaves. Mm -hmm. And I think last year we grew 200 plants. Wow. So we had quite a few leaves to share from that. Wow. 
So what is in a typical CSA from Cultivate the City? Is it a weekly share? Yeah, it's a weekly share and we do 10 different items. It's normally six different veggies, um, two fruits, an herb, and then a finished food product. And the fin- this year, it's been a little bit different. We, instead of making it with our school groups, which is what we've done in the past, mm-hmm. um, we've reached out to other DC organizations, like we featured Little Wild Things in one of our CSAs, um, and they grow microgreens right below us. They just moved in this past winter. Hmm. Um, so that's a really cool synergy that we've been able to do. We've provided seedlings and herbs for their CSA. Um, and what else have we done? We did, we're going to do garlic scape pesto next week. Hmm. Um, we've done a lot of eggs. We've been able to source from other local farms. Uh, Lucibella Farms is up in Bowie, Maryland. Um, and we work closely, uh, we've worked with them in the past. And this year they provided us eggs occasionally as well as leafy greens. Um, so things like that where it, our CSA has also grown a lot in membership over the past over the past few months and so instead of us growing everything we're reaching out to other farms as well and we're purchasing other locally grown produce to include in our csas and you're not growing everything from your for your csas on that rooftop you have sat satellite farms yep we have multiple locations um we're growing a little bit at max park this year not as much as we have in past seasons um on the rooftop of the stadium we have a garden there um, we also have a big campus farm at Gallaudet University and that normally we have interns from Gallaudet University that help manage that location. Uh, but because there's no students around, we're primarily managing that site, but it is a very big garden and we've doubled down there this year. We probably have two to three times as many plants as we've put there in past seasons. And we're hoping to provide a lot of our CSA from there. Um, and then we also grow an idea, uh, public charter school, which is a high school in Northeast DC. Hmm. So what are your plans for the future for expansion? Like what would be your ideal, um, if you could add on to your operation? Um, I'm not really sure. I think this year is definitely going to take a little bit of reflection, uh, to see what are the best ways for us to expand it moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love what we've been able to create on the rooftop here and providing people in the city with access to a lot of these plants that otherwise they wouldn't have. Um, so I'm not sure how quickly I want to start my own large scale farm, but I think that that is also on the books that sooner or later, I'm going to have to get a few acres and garden on a much or farm on a much larger scale. Mm -hmm. Um, in particular, um, I have a variety of strawberries that we're calling meg berries um, and they're a cross of pine berries which are really really tiny albino strawberries um, that taste like a cross between pineapples and strawberries they are may and june bearing plants and we cross them with ever bearing strawberries so they're making larger sized fruit that look and taste like strawberries and bear fruit all year long um, and that's something that's kind of been in the works for the past few years and now we have about 250 plants and they're all in full fruit right now and that is something that one day I hope to have a multi-acre farm of. Wow and so that's named after your partner 
Meg. Yes, it is. Yay, yep. so sweet. And then um, you said it was crossed with the white or albino, but it actually, the resulting Meg Berry is a red, correct? It's a blood, they actually vary in color. Some of them are white, some of them are a deeper pink, um, but they, they turn a blush color a little bit. The main way for me to tell the difference between them and the strawberries are the, that strawberries, when they're ripe, they have green seeds. Um, these, when they're ripe, they have red seeds. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is, especially on the albino or pine berries, how do you tell when they're ripe? <laughs> so. um, the best way is really the texture of it, the plumpness of it. Mm-hmm. And once it's swelled enough, um, typically that's when it's ready to pick. Yeah, and I find with the regular June-bearing strawberries, it kind of gets a shininess to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's when the birds know, too. <laughs> when it's, <Yep>. when it's <laughs> fully red and shiny, that's when it's at its sweetest. Um, so are you having to net up on that rooftop? Um, no. Of your plants from birds and other pests? No, um, we've actually always had pretty good luck with the birds not messing with the strawberries. Um, they tend to go for our goji berries mm. and some other things I find. Um, it's been a, a weird year as well for like, we've had a lot of ravens and crows on the rooftop and they don't really mess with anything. They just rip off leaves every so often. And then they drop trash that they gather from the streets in the garden. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been a big, <laughs> a big return of corvid birds. Um, that we, <laughs> yeah. we lost them, um, I think about 10 to 15 years ago, there was that virus that we lost, but they're, they're roaring back now. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, the birds tend to not mess with our fruit as much and what they do. We just kind of chalk that up to them. We also have chickens on the rooftop, so we give them anything that's not good for giving to people. Mm-hmm. And the chickens are strictly for your egg production for your CSA. Yep. yep. Interesting. So any other um, uh, animals that you're uh, have for this, for the, your garden? Um, just that and our dog. Mm-hmm. And we have a, do- a resident dog that unfortunately she has also been having separation anxiety from the garden because she's not allowed to be here during this time. Um, uh, but soon, hopefully she'll be able to return. Yeah. And I'm sure your customers miss her as well. Yeah, they all ask about her. <laughs> so, um, where can our listeners find you? Um, they can find us on Instagram or Facebook under Cultivate the City. Um, or they're welcome to come visit us at our garden center at 910 Bladensburg Road Northeast. Um, or they can shoot us an email. Um, and my email is nray n-r-a-y at cultivate the city.com and the website of course is cultivate the city.com as well yep that is correct uh can people order online and do like a socially distanced pickup or how how are you adjusting um these days for retail so i guess it's actually worked in our favor because i finally made an availability list Hmm. So there's finally a list of everything that we're growing. I try my best to keep it up to date. Um, but every week I find new plants that I want to add to there or new things that are germinating, things that we're propagating. Um, but we try and keep it up to date. And yeah, 
that it, we can share that link with you. You can find it on our website. Um, if you follow us on Instagram, it's also in our profile link as well. Great. And I know that um, up the road from you at the U.S. National Arboretum, because of the COVID uh, crisis, they had to cancel their annual um, garden fair. So mm-hmm. some of the plants that they were holding in greenhouses for that garden fair uh, got transferred to you to sell. Um, yep. Out- so we have them mm-hmm. here on the rooftop and we're selling them as a fundraiser for uh, FONA, the Friends of the National Arboretum. Mm-hmm. Um, and a large part of the proceeds are going directly back to them. Um, it's a little bit of out of our wheelhouse. We normally don't carry outdoor and landscaping plants, but these are beautiful plants and they're super super cheap and there there's still some in stock so that was my gonna yep. be my question is I, i'm shocked that they're not already all sold out yep um i think it's just because it's out of our wheelhouse most of our regular customers aren't looking for a lot of these types of plants um we have sold a significant portion i would say maybe about half of them have sold mm-hmm. uh, but it's still just not something a lot of our normal customers are looking for they're Great outdoor plants. There are things you can bonsai. Um, a lot of uh, con- uh, conifer uh, conifer plants. A lot of evergreens, uh, but yeah. not good for vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of that collection are the dwarf and miniature conifers for for training mm-hmm. and for like uh, a Japanese style landscape and and for experimenting. Yep. But also great for growing in a container as a specimen plant, say on a balcony or yep. a rooftop. So. Yeah, definitely check those out when you go by Cultivate the City. All right. So anything, last thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Maybe a, a little bit about your gardening or growing philosophy? Um, well, I, one thing I would definitely add is that a big part of my gardening philosophy has shifted over the past year. And now I grow a lot more indoor plants. And that was something that I didn't do much of in past years. Um, but now we've definitely started growing a lot more indoor and ornamental plants. And um, I hope to integrate that more into our horticultural uh, therapy programs. We go, grow a lot of air plants. I've started growing like um, calatheas and alocasias, um, a lot of succulents. And it's just been a new fun passion that I didn't have before and I didn't really understand. So always leave room for learning more in gardening. There's always more to do. Nice. Well, that's wonderful. And I hope to be able to see you in person at our annual plant swap um, this fall. I hope so too. And uh, that's if we can maybe do it even at a socially distanced parking lot space <laughs> is, what, is what I'm picturing we might end up doing this year. Um, so thank you so much, Naraj. And no problem. Good, Thanks for having me. And good luck with the growing season. Thank you very much. You too. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Plant Profile, Daylily. Daylilies, Hemerocallus, 
are versatile and easy care perennial plants that tolerate a wide range of soil types from clay to sand, moist to dry, and bloom in full sun to part shade. I plant them in my sidewalk hell strips along the street where they can take both the wintertime salt spray and summertime baking heat. There are more than 80,000 daylily cultivars and collecting different ones can become an obsession. Stelladora is one that is widely available and planted everywhere from gas stations to suburban cul-de-sacs. Happy Returns, Ruby Spider, and Strawberry Candy are three of my personal favorites for vigor and superior performance in home gardens. Most daylilies are clump forming and are easy to dig and divide every few years to increase your garden or to share them with others. A note of caution, however, about the common ditch lily, Hemerocallus fulva, which is an invasive species in our area. It is sterile, but spreads by underground stolen and has been a popular pass-along plant. Please try to resist the urge to share it and keep it away from our natural areas. Daylily blooms last just one day, then self-shed. If a few hang on and this bothers you, you can easily groom them off. Fun fact, the daylily flower is edible and you can prepare it as you would a squash blossom. They are delicious, lightly battered and fried. Daylilies are deer candy. If that is an issue in your area, you can spray with a repellent or spread malorganite in the flower beds early on in the growing season, which can also act as a fertilizer. The only care I give mine is to cut the plants back hard in the fall. You can give them a bit of additional fertilizer in the late spring, but I never bother, and they still bloom prolifically. Daylilies, you can grow that. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter by going to anchor.fm backslash Kathy dash gents backslash support. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can become a listener supporter and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Another way to support Garden DC is to go to washingtongardener.com and subscribe to Washington Gardener Magazine. What's blooming in the garden this week? Over at the community garden plot, the Sweet Pea Beaujolais are finally putting on a nice show and I've been able to gather two handfuls of blossoms to have indoors on those rainy days when I'm stuck on the computer. Back in my home garden, Clematis Jackmanai is putting on a wonderful show. On each side of my front door, I have a tub of pink astilbe, unnamed but treasured because I got these as a pass along plant from garden ranter Susan Harris. Elsewhere in my garden, the Asiatic lilies and daylilies are just starting to open up, and I'm still enjoying the show of Penstemon and several other natives. The milkweeds are starting to show little balls that are about to open up into honey-scented blooms, and I can't wait to see what's in store for the rest of June.
confessions of a plant killer. Your black thumb is hiding a green one underneath. H. Fred Ale said, My green thumb came only as a result of the mistakes I made while learning to see things from the plant's point of view. Do you think you have a black thumb? Well, think again. My gardening communicator friend, Joseph Tykonovich, says, Killing plants is what dyes your thumb green. As with many things in life, you learn gardening by trial and error. You have to kill many plants before you get it right. Just this past winter, I discovered a half-frozen plant that I'd left on my unheated sun porch. Whoops! It was semi-tropical, so I should have known it would not enjoy the below-freezing nights that we had. But I gambled that it would survive in its somewhat protected spot, and I, and it, lost the bet. Now I'll know better for next time. Many of my fellow gardeners have similar stories of plants they have killed on purpose, by accident, and sometimes repeatedly. What we all have in common is that we don't let a few setbacks define us. We learn and we try again. If you're like me and love your houseplants too much, you likely overwater them. Most plants don't like their roots being constantly wet and eventually they will rot and die. What I've learned to do now is concentrate my love on those plants that do enjoy wet roots and to give away those plants I know will not survive my overwatering tendencies. Maybe you're the type who gets a plant that never waters it again. You get busy or the plants just blend in with your furnishings and you forget about them. My advice I can give is to schedule waterings. Put a weekly tickler into your Google Calendar or scribble a note in your daybook that each Sunday is watering time. Now some plants may not need weekly waterings, but at least check on them once a week and you'll be ahead of the game. Another strategy for those who forget to water is to buy plants that like it on the dry side. Or look for those plants like violets that can come in pots with a water reservoir below to draw from. These you only have to fill about monthly. Outdoor gardening is also a world of trial and error, but never fear killing a plant. It's not always your fault. Some plants are just not suited to your growing zones or your soil type. Others started off life badly and will never thrive for you due to errors made at the plant growers, the breeders, the sellers' facilities, and in the shipping process. Still others are genetically short-lived plants and tend to only live a few seasons, even if they are labeled perennials. So, my so-called black thumb friends, please redefine yourself. You are not plant killers. You are instead veteran gardeners. Learn and grow. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.